Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined by the young and talented Charleston Bowles. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. It's been about a month since I've been on an Inside ND Sports Podcast, as Eric and I have been alternating some summer vacation time, but Charleston and I have been plenty busy covering recruiting news uh, around Notre Dame for the last few weeks. Um, and we wanted to keep our focus on recruiting for the podcast this week. Uh, so we reached out to our newest rivals, national recruiting analyst, Cole Patterson, to tap into his knowledge of the Mid-South region and particularly Texas, where the Irish have found some momentum in recent years. Cole, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk some recruiting and some ball with you all. Yeah, first off, congratulations on the new role. Uh, what has it been like getting adjusted to sort of life as a, a national recruiting analyst in charge of an entire region? Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, thankfully, I had some experience, a little bit of experience, you know, helping uh, Nick Harris, who was previously had the role. So not, not I didn't go into it blind necessarily. But yeah, it's been been a lot of, you know, adjustment as far as, you know, bigger responsibility. There's been a lot of HR stuff, all that, all the fun things like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited to kind of get the ball rolling. And like you mentioned, Notre Dame's been really successful in this region. So I'm sure we'll be talking a lot moving forward. From up here, it feels like I met, like you mentioned, Notre Dame has had a lot of success. Do you feel like that Notre Dame is really starting to make waves down in the state of Texas? Yeah, for sure. I think um, that that new staff, Marcus Freeman, and all of the the entire staff has made Texas a priority, and it's paying off. Um, just look at last year's class. You had Jaden Greyhouse and uh, Braylon James kind of leading the charge there, the two wide receivers, um, both from uh, Central Texas, you know, in the Austin area. Big time offers. Um, Texas recruited both. Um, and Notre Dame was able to go in and Texas pull up, pull with the two of them. They're also heavily involved, you know, with Malik Mohammed and a bunch of other guys in the Dallas area too. So yeah, I'd say so for sure. They've definitely made their presence felt. Um, I think that Notre Dame offer definitely carries a lot of weight, you know, academically, athletically. And Marcus Freeman, I've not heard any bad things about him. So yeah, I definitely think uh, it's paying off. Yeah, and then Cole, just to follow up on that, uh, keeping the wide receiver trend, going to the 2025 class, uh, got guys like Dalen McCutcheon, Taz Williams Jr. Um, do you think Notre Dame could kind of replicate that success uh, playing uh, those two out of Texas? Just how, how difficult will it be to get them out of the state? Yeah, for sure. Um, both already have national offer sheets, as you two are pretty aware of. Uh, and both have already been up to Notre Dame and you know, I had a chance to talk to them pretty recently, actually, about Notre Dame. They both had a lot of good things to say about, about the Irish. Um, and Taz, he's actually from Pittsburgh, so he has those ties to, to that region. So I don't think it's going to be as part of a pool uh, to get him to kind of convince him to go back up north. He's really open to playing wherever, as is Dalen McCutcheon. So, yeah, I think, I think they definitely have a shot. Um, like I said, there's national programs, you know, Georgia's offered them both. Alabama, I know, is after Taz. Um, but, yeah, I do think uh, Notre Dame's going to have a shot there. I think, you know, them being seeing familiar faces like a Jaden Greyhouse and like a Braylon James certainly can't hurt. Yes, speaking of Braylon and, and Jaden, that's two of the three from Texas Notre Dame signed. Um, in the 2023 class, Caleb Smith is the other one. Which of those guys are you the most confident in of, of having success at Notre Dame? Yeah, I would probably say uh, Jaden Greyhouse. You know, he he just produces. You know, he may not be the flashiest player. He may not um, have the best measurables or whatever you want to poke holes at. But, man, he he was dominant on in the Texas high school football level. At, at Austin Westlake, he put up numbers on the biggest of stages. Um one game that I went to um, that kind of stands out to me, he played against 
a loaded Denton Geyer team in the state championship game that led by uh, Oklahoma signing Peyton Bowen, the five-star. Um, mm-hmm. Ryan Yates, a DBU signed with uh, LSU. And then Eli Bowen, Peyton's younger brother, is a four-star in the 24 class. He shredded them. I think he had like over 200 yards rec- receiving and three touchdowns. And that's just who he is, man. He this produces his numbers back it up, his track record backs it up. And I think he's going to be a guy that gets on the field sooner rather than later. What? It seemed like Texas's recruitment of Jaden was a bit strange. How would you sort of describe how his recruitment with the Longhorns went? Yeah, it seemed, at least from my vantage point, they kind of, I don't know, slow play was the right word, but they kind of, uh, you know, kind of was patient with them as far as, you know, making their push and all of that. Um, but I think it was kind of mutual, you know, I think he kind of wanted to get out of Austin or at least mm-hmm. see some different things. So I think it was kind of mutual, but he did go on their visits. He did go to some games or some, smoke kind of in the season maybe if they had a good year they could flip him things like that uh, but yeah you know texas got their fair share of talented receivers and Notre dame was able to get a really big time player out of boston so i, I think it kind of worked out for both parties <laughs> yeah and then cole going back to dalen mccutcheon uh, when you kind of compare him right now where he is at his high school career and you think back about braylon and Jaden and caleb how do the skill sets compare uh with dalen you know being a top 100 player right now um, at this stage of uh, his career? Yeah, Dalen's just a very technically sound and very fluid guy. You know, he looks like years beyond his age. He's can play – he's produced on a big level at a high school, on a high school level. at Lovejoy, who has a – they had Kyle Parker, who went to LSU. They have Parker Livingston, who's another top 150 player and hit the 24 class. And he still was able to stand out there. He gets open with ease. Um, you know, he doesn't have the numbers just yet that, you know, Jaden Greathouse has, and he didn't have, or he doesn't have the measurables that Braylon James has, but he just produces, man. Um, he's one of my favorite receivers in that class. I think Texas at 25 receiver cycles can be a loaded. If Notre Dame can get their hands on Taz, Dalen, or really any of them, I'm sure that more names will emerge. I'll be very beneficial. Some of the damage Notre Dame has done in Texas uh, in the 2024 class includes Logan Thomas, a defensive end that I know the Notre Dame staff and Notre Dame fans are very excited about. What do you like about his game particularly? Yeah, Logan, he kind of jumped up on radars. I guess that was his sophomore year. Um, his junior year wasn't as loaded just from a number standpoint. They had DJ Hicks move in to five-star that signed with Oklahoma. So we didn't right. see all the sacks he did, but – he uh, really turned a lot of heads in the offseason at the San Antonio All-American Combine back in January. He was, I think he was every media outlet's uh, MVP, most outstanding player, whatever you want to name it. He kind of shined, stood out there. He's got a good frame. Um, and his, I think Notre Dame took advantage of his recruiting stock, kind of heating up at the right time. They were able to get in there, get him on campus, and kind of shut that down. And he has really big, too, at coming out of Katy Pato in the Houston area, being able to pull a guy like that from Texas A&M, from Texas, and I think Oklahoma was definitely involved as well. Getting, beating those kind of programs out for that kind of player, I think is going to really pay off just as far as, you know, getting a pass rusher that I don't think he's even close to his ceiling. He's kind of still scratching the surface, you know. He's, you can tell he's raw. He's still kind of learning some things. I think Notre Dame was going to really take advantage of that. And then Cole, another uh, Notre Dame 2024 commit that uh, the Irish fans are very happy about, Keegan Young uh, from Lufkin. Uh, I know Lufkin didn't have the season they wanted uh, as a team last year, but uh, for Notre Dame to kind of lock him up after his official visit a couple weeks ago, um, just what can you say about what he adds to this class? Yeah, Keegan, he's a lot of he's a lot of fun watching film. We actually did move him up in the Rivals 250 this last update. Uh, big for Notre Dame to go into East Texas and pull him out. He's a physical rusher. 
Um, he great contact balance. He's hard to bring him down, man. If you just watch his film, it usually takes multiple guys to get him on the turf. And I think that's what that fits Notre Dame football, in my opinion. I think in Notre Dame football, I think those, you know, those tough guys that break break those tackles or be able to play in the winter and you know sustain all those hits, all, all that kind of stuff. I think he's your young fits that to a T. And he comes from a really good area. You know, Des Bryant is also out of Lufkin, Texas. There's some NFL ped pedigree at his high school and uh, he could be up next. I really like his game. Um, another guy that I, could, I think will be better on the next level than he is right now. One of the contenders for Young was, was Texas Tech. And I know Texas Tech has been a, a, a school that has been mentioned. Oliver Miles is a safety that Notre Dame's going after, and he's visiting Texas Tech this weekend. And Texas Tech normally isn't a school that Notre Dame, I would think, I mean, in recent years, hasn't had to worry much about. Like, if, if Notre Dame's going after a kid in Texas Tech is going after a kid, Notre Dame can be pretty confident in that. And I feel it feels like Texas Tech has something going there with its recruiting. Can you sort of speak to what they've been able to do to sort of be another school in Texas that, that can be someone to pre prevent you from pulling a kid out of Texas? Yeah, um, I think it all starts with Joey McGuire. Uh, when he took over, their recruiting really took off. Uh, for those that don't know, that might be listening, you know, Joey McGuire is like a legendary Texas high school football coach. Um, he coached at Cedar Hill and won like two or three state championships and was always had them in the state title contention. Um, and he's kind of carried that over to to college. You know, he followed Matt Rule to Baylor, kind of learned the ropes there. And then now that he's at Texas Tech, he's got, he has all those Texas connections for one. You know, he knows all the high school coaches. He can walk into a high school and they're going to respect him. They're going to know who he is. So he carries that weight. Um, he's such a good recruiter. You know, he, he and his staff, all these recruits I've talked to in Texas, you know, they mentioned Joey McGuire. And it's not every time that you hear, you know, head coaches mentioned in recruitment usually it's position coach might be a you know director of player personnel or recruiting staffer but it seems like Joe McGuire's hands-on with every single guy and that's really resonating with a lot of recruits you know um, a guy that you know Notre Dame is not really in the mix for but Michael Hudson a five-star receiver um, Texas Tech would not be in the race for that you know most years but Joe McGuire has him in the mix for that you know you mentioned Oliver Miles um, obviously Kale Smith was committed to Texas Tech so right. Yeah, there seems to be a little bit of a Texas Tech Notre Dame robbery, <laughs> you know, at least hitting up in the recruiting trail. I guess we'll need that to happen on the gridiron as well. <laughs> yeah, and then Cole, um, following up on Kedron Young at Lufkin, um, Zion Williams, 2025 defensive tackle who Notre Dame offered last month. Um, he told me when I spoke to him last month, you know, Texas is amazing, but uh, he would like to, you know, get out the state uh, to play college if that opportunity uh, were to arise. Uh, what do you think Notre Dame saw on his tape uh, to give him that offer heading into his junior season? Yeah, yeah, Zion. Um, he's a guy that I really like down in the Houston area as well. Um, another player that uh, is kind of a theme in Texas. You know, usually when you think of Texas high school football, you think they're probably close to their uh, ceiling. They're kind of maxed out just from the facilities and all that standpoint. But I think Zion's a guy that's another guy that's not even close to his potential but he's he's got a high enough ceiling or high enough floor I should say they can come and contribute early um another defensive lineman that I'm a, I'm a fan of in Texas I think that's Texas is different you know a lot of there's a lot of state pride but there's a lot of kids wanting to you know leave the state see some other opportunities and like I mentioned earlier I think that's where Notre Dame has really resonated with some guys and then Zion has a really close relationship with Kedron uh, they actually went on a uh, a visit to Baylor last year together uh, with Kedron now in the fold. Do you think that will play a little bit of a part in maybe Zion's interest in Notre Dame over the next year? Yeah, I mean, like, like just look at that 2023 class. You saw 
Jaden and Braylon, they, they knew each other really well, and that kind of helped each other out in the, in the recruiting process. I could definitely see that with Kedron and Zion. Um, and then when you throw in a Logan Thomas, just the more of, more familiarity, the better for Notre Dame. You already have the academic pedigree to sell. You already have the brand to sell. So the more Texas guys is going to make it more, you know, more of a possibility to kind of go into Texas, go into these different schools, these different areas of Texas and pull some guys. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see that paying off for the Fighting Irish. Bull, Texas isn't the only state you're in charge of, although it is the biggest. Um, Mississippi also falls under your purview, and Notre Dame is after a pretty talented quarterback in the 2025 class uh, with Deuce Knight. What do you think about Deuce as a player, and where do you think Notre Dame stands in his recruitment? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of uh, of Deuce Knight, man. Um, I got to see him for the first time. Uh, I guess that was last summer, uh, last June. Um, a guy that immediately jumps out to you when he walks in. Big, big, tall, lanky quarterback. He could think play wide receiver. He's kind of got that build to him. He's a lefty, um, really athletic guy. And every single every single time I see him, you know, seven on seven camps, you know, on tape. He really jumps out, throwing the football. He can move in and out of the pocket, make plays from wherever, throw off different platforms. Just really impressive player and really impressive uh, young man as well. Very high character kid. I think that's one of the reasons why Notre Dame's kind of targeted him on the recruiting trail. I do think they're one of the teams to beat. Um, at worst, I would say they're the number two or number three school in his recruitment right now. I think um, it's Notre Dame and Tennessee, I think, are the very top. Alabama just came in with an offer. So you obviously got to you know factor that in. And, you know, Tony Reese down there, already building that relationship. Uh, but I do think Notre Dame is really high up on his list. Um, he speaks really highly of them. Marcus Freeman's another guy that's involved in his recruitment. And he's, uh, you know, he's going to be set for a big update uh, in our rankings update coming up later this month. I think he's a guy that can finish, compete for, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the country. So for Notre Dame to kind of already resonate, you know, with a Mississippi kid, you know, I don't think Notre Dame recruits Mississippi every single cycle. So for right. him to go into that state, um, kind of already make a big impression on Deuce, uh, I think says a lot. But yeah, I'd say it's, them in Tennessee right now, I think are battling it out for that one or two spot. Um, and I think those two will be the two schools to watch as, you know, as the process moves forward all the way until his commitment. Yeah, and Cole, with Notre Dame having C.J. Carr uh, in the 2024 class, you know, a lot of kids might not, you know, want to maybe be the guy to follow. Uh, what can you tell us about Deuce's kind of competitiveness and uh, just kind of his, you know, mindset to, you know, take on the challenge if uh, he were to be uh, the quarterback to follow uh, C.J. Carr? Yeah, you're right. C.J. Carr is obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the 24 class, a guy that could easily move into five-star range. Or like you said, not every quarterback wants to go in and compete. But I think Deuce just has a different mindset. You know, he's even just talking about Tennessee, he's mentioned, you know, Nico up there, the five-star quarterback. He already built in that relationship, he said, and he uh, is not afraid of that competition. So if you're not afraid of that, you know, I think C.J. Carr and him would only push each other. Um, and he, he's uh, – him and Emil Piccarello were two of the top quarterbacks in Mississippi going back to last year. And Deuce would, always, they have a good relationship, obviously friends, but he would always, you know, have a chip on his shoulder. Emil was the guy getting the offers before Deuce. And I think they, that kind of lit a fire under him. Um, seven on seven, he's played on some teams that, you know, may not be as stacked as some, as some other teams in, in tournaments. And he's come out as a winner. Um, he just has that it factor, man. I know that it factor can kind of be overplayed, overstated, but there's something about Deuce Knight that when he takes the field, he gets his guys to believe in 
him. And I think that translates to his own game, his own confidence. You know, I don't think he's afraid of any challenge. But if Notre Dame can pull, make make that kind of a statement, you know, 24 against C.J. Carr and 25 go down to Mississippi, get Deuce Knight, um, you got, there's a lot to like there. Yeah, and I didn't even know. I had to look it up while you were talking. Jake Merklinger is the quarterback commit in the 2024 class for Tennessee, who is pretty highly ranked as well out of Georgia. He's number 65 overall and number number five pro-style quarterback. So he would be stepping into a place with plenty of quarterback competition ahead of him uh, if he chose either of those. And obviously Alabama is a school that is emerging yeah. there. There's never a shortage of talent of quarterbacks there. Um, although Notre Dame fans find it pretty interesting that Tyler Buckner left Notre Dame as a backup quarterback to compete for the starting <laughs> job down in Alabama. Yeah, what kind of went into that from y'all's perspective? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think obviously Tyler Buckner wasn't going to start this year with Sam Hartman um, at Notre Dame, and Tommy Reese was someone who really believed in Tyler Buckner. Is a lot of the reason that Tyler Buckner ended up at Notre Dame. So I think Tommy Reese played a really big role in getting him to come down to Alabama and convincing him that he would have a chance to compete and that this would be the best move forward for him. So um, a bit of a fresh start for Tyler Buckner and um, one that I don't know that it's necessarily guaranteed that he's going to start uh, as a quarterback this year, but at least I probably has a better chance than he would at Notre Dame because the only way Sam Hartman isn't going to be the starting quarterback is if he were to get hurt. And I think there's at least still more of an open competition down in down in Alabama, but it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out because that's not a position that Notre Dame's used to being in one of its backups going, going <laughs> to a place like Alabama. So that'll be, that'll be fun to watch. I think that kind of speaks to where Notre Dame is, you know, recruiting the quarterback position. So um, I think if you're an Irish fan, you gotta be pretty happy about that. Sure. Um, we are awaiting word from Nate Roberts on Saturday. He has announced that he will be making his commitment decision on Saturday. That is a tight end who has visited Notre Dame twice. He's from Oklahoma. Um, I personally submitted a Rivals Future cast in favor of the Irish, so I think Notre Dame will end up getting him, but we'll have to see what happens. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, he may have already announced his decision. But yeah. what are your thoughts on Nate Roberts as a prospect, uh, Cole? Yeah, Nate is a guy that, uh, you know, our Oklahoma site, Parker Thune of OU Insider has always been really high on. Um, so obviously he speaks for himself, speaks for itself. He's a guy that I think can help in the receiving game, help as a, as a blocker as well in the, in the run game. I think that's what Notre Dame really likes because the first side tied in. You must have to be in today's, you know, game. You know, you can't be one-dimensional anymore. And I think Nate Robertson fits that bill. Um, and to be able to go into Oklahoma, assuming that they're able to go in and kind of close the deal, if, if your future cast isn't, you know, put a jinx <laughs> or anything like that. I think I go, that's, that's another statement. You know, we're talking about Texas going into Texas and pulling all these guys going to Oklahoma for a guy that Oklahoma's recruiting, the Oklahoma State wants that really the whole region's after. I think it says a lot about Notre Dame and what they're, you know, able to sell these kids on. And Cole, another Texas kid that, um, you know, Notre Dame was looking at, uh, he actually camped up here earlier this month for Irish Invasion, uh, Anthony Deuce Williams. A linebacker from uh, Shadow Creek. I know he was a big basketball player um, early on in his career. What can you tell us about uh, him as a linebacker? I know uh, he has really good length uh, when we saw him in person, uh, but how seriously do you think Notre Dame could uh, factor in uh, in his recruitment? 
Yeah, he's another guy down in that Houston area that's kind of seen his recruitment soar. You mentioned he's a basketball player. He's got the length. Um, I think he's got some really good versatility that I like as well because um, he can rush a pass. He can do a little bit off the edge as well as kind of drop back and play in space as a linebacker. Um, I know TCU is a school that's kind of in the mix there. Baylor has some good connections down in that area as well. Um, but I think Notre Dame is a score to watch in that recruitment. You know, he's a, like I said, he can play off the edge. He can, uh, you know, he's kind of a chess piece on that defense, and you can tell that's what Marcus Freeman really likes. Um, I do, I want to discount Notre Dame at all. I do think, like I said, TCU's in the mix, Baylor's in the mix. Um, as his recruitment kind of, you know, starts to heat up, I'm sure Texas, Texas A&M will probably be more in the, in the in his recruitment as well. Um, but I do think Notre Dame's going to be taken seriously in that recruitment and, you know, it's hard. It's hard. To, it's not hard to see why they're really interested in him. I like his length. I like his multi-sport background. I'm kind of. A, I'm kind of a sucker for guys that play multiple sports, especially if it's basketball or track. In addition to football, and he kind of fits that bill perfectly. Um, another guy that I think is, you know, really, you know, kind of starting to hit his groove a little bit. You know, there's some stuff that he needs to kind of tap more into, but it's easy to see the upside that he has. Cole, my last question is off the board in terms of recruiting, but I, I, as an outsider, I'm very interested in Texas and Texas A&M resuming their rivalry as, as yeah. SEC members in the future. What are your thoughts on that happening? How does that, uh, how does that change things at all in terms of the Texas football landscape? Yeah, man. And just, you know, being in Texas kind of, you know, going to school out here as well, you, grow up you know one side's texas one side's texas a&m one way or the other um, they would always play thanksgiving night or thanksgiving weekend and you know it's a big tradition and you know not having that for a while since texas tech i mean texas a&m excuse me left for the sec kind of left a hole on that weekend you know i think both sides kind of you know missed each other they want to you know admit that either side would not admit that you know texas is has been trying to replace that weekend, you know, with Texas Tech, TCU, you know, Kansas State, I think, last year on that weekend. And it just never feels the same. And there's something special about that game coming back. Um, there was – there's some bragging rights from the A&M side that the first game back will be in College Station. Um, people are already on Twitter talking about how much that ticket's going to cost. And it's mm -hmm. going to be – I've seen north of 700 uh, predictions. I mean, everybody's going to want to be at that stadium at, for that game. But, yeah, I mean, it's – it kind of embodies Texas football. You know, I think every, the whole, all the city shut down. Um, you know, all the teams are from, you know, small town, Texas, big town, Texas, doesn't matter where you're from. You're going to put on those uniforms, kind of represent your, your university. And I think it's really exciting. You know, it's kind of a neutral guy to seeing those two schools go back at each other. Um, it's going to be really, really cool. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that the SEC was able to make that work. Uh, not this season, but next season, uh, Notre Dame will be heading to Texas A&M. Do you have any words of advice for Notre Dame fans that may be heading down to Texas A&M? Uh, yeah, just be prepared. They're, uh, you know, they've kind of got the reputation of being a cult down there. <laughs> and, and um, you know, they have the uh, they have the, uh, the Friday night yell that they have before the games. I'm sure you've probably seen clips on Twitter go sure. viral. Um, yeah, it's an interesting experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody I talked to that's either played at Texas A&M, you know, in that stadium or, you know, just covered a game there, been in there as a fan, just talks about the chills you get in that stadium. It's huge. They obviously remodeled that stadium after Johnny Manziel left and it's huge, man. Um, it's definitely an experience you, you need to get, but like I said, it's, it's definitely quite the experience. <laughs> all right, Cole. Well, that's all we have for you. I, we appreciate you taking time to talk to us and introducing you to our Inside of Esports uh, listeners. Um, so I'm sure, like you mentioned, we'll be hearing plenty from you, whether it's 
on our podcast or in stories in the future evaluating um, guys that Notre Dame's recruiting. So we really appreciate you taking the time and best of luck in the new position. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to joining y'all again. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Charleston's at CBulls01. First question we have is from Chino at D underscore radio guy. On his last day, Jack Sorbrick lets you ask him one question where he will be 100% honest, no word salad. What is it? Yes, so my question is, do you think Notre Dame football realistically uh, can ever win consistently in this new football era that we are heading into? Uh, So I say this because of uh, obviously the name, image, and likeness, NIL. Uh, is, mm-hmm. you know, growing uh, rapidly. Um, also, the location, South Bend, Indiana, you know, it's very, um, sometimes can be tough to pull uh, the four and five star recruits that Notre Dame fans want. Um, and also the academic standards here at Notre Dame, um, they're high and uh, every recruit can't meet them. And, uh, you know, some of those recruits you'll lose uh, to Alabama, the Georgias, the Ohio States. Um, but I want to get his thoughts on if Notre Dame, if, if they can really, you know, buy for a national championship year in, year out, um, because that's what a lot of fans want to know. And um, especially with, you know, Notre Dame's playoff history, uh, as it currently stands, I think a lot of fans question that. So uh, I would like to, you know, get his real thoughts and uh, transparency on uh, if, if Notre Dame can contend uh, year in, year out, you know, next 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah, I, I mean, the list of questions that I could come up with for this is very long. <laughs> Uh, so I'll throw out a couple that I would not submit, although, I, I mean, I would like to ask him, but I don't know that, that these aren't my choices. How do you really feel about Brian Kelly? <laughs> that would certainly be one of them. Um, I'd be curious, like, did Notre Dame have to give up the right to be a top four seed in the new playoff format in order for it to work? Like, was that something that Notre Dame absolutely had to do? Why did he feel that was necessary as someone who played a role in making the 12 team playoff plan come into place? Um, but the question I would go with is what is your biggest regret as athletic director, which is a bit open-ended. So I don't know what his answer would be, but I would be fascinated to know what it truly was. And if, if I'm getting his honest answer, I think that would be, um, I imagine it would be something pretty illuminating, um, uh, because he's made a lot of decisions and I'm sure he doesn't a hundred percent, um, I'm sure he doesn't believe that everything went the right way or he could have done something differently. So I'd be curious what, what his answer would be to that question. Uh, next question is from at ill Jack on the insider lounge. What is the status of the TV and apparel negotiations? Yeah. So uh, I'll start with the, you know, the TV negotiations. Um, obviously that's coming to a close here soon. And um, I think if you're Notre Dame fans, you have to look at what, what the big 10 just got with NBC who uh, Notre Dame fans are familiar with. If you know, I'm reading reports correctly, each big 10 team, uh, regardless of, you know, uh, on field performance gets $90 million uh, per year. Um, so I think Notre Dame, their asking price uh, has to go up uh, with that, especially when, you know, you have uh, no disrespect, but smaller schools like Rutgers and uh, even the Maryland's of, you know, college football, um, where Notre Dame's brand is just so much bigger. Um, and you want to, you know, have that exclusive deal. And now with, um, you know, Big Ten tied in with NBC, um, as well as what they're doing with CBS, I think um, Notre Dame, there's a little, um, you know, confusion. Uh, with fans on where they might go. But um, I think right now you're in no rush. Just be patient. Uh, let everything play out, especially with the new AD hire. I think um, Notre Dame will be in good hands and ultimately make the right decision. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in. Like, I, I don't really know 
that I have an update uh, on like where things stand. If that's what Iljack is looking for, I, I mean, we get we get asked this a lot, but I don't I don't know that I always have a lot to add. It seems pretty obvious to me that Notre Dame's going to remain on NBC, um, and I'd expect NBC to pay a price that's closer to the SEC. Um, Big Ten per team averages that that uh, Charleston was talking about. So um, I don't know that it's going to reach that level necessarily, but it'll be closer to that than than it has been in recent years um, because of the um, newer deals that those those conferences have signed um, with their TV partners. Um, and I, it would just be shocking to me if Notre Dame didn't end up on NBC after it, it is hiring uh, the NBC Sports Chair uh, to be its athletic director. Um, as for the apparel negotiations, uh, as was reported previously under Armour's exclusive window, um, to sign an extension with Notre Dame as close. So Notre Dame is shopping for their offers before making a decision. Um, I don't have any necessary insight into which way Notre Dame is leaning for that. Um, I know, I think, I think that's something that probably fans care more about than, uh, than really matter. Like to me, I know sometimes that was a big deal with like recruits like that before NIL was a big deal. Um, like jerseys and stuff like that were, were really important, which is still matter, but like they're, they're, it's much lower on the list than I think it was when I first started covering recruiting. Um, so I, I, uh, I know at least probably from a fan perspective, they want to know like what kind of gear they're going to have access to buying. Um, I know people, uh, um, have opinions on the color of pants that Notre Dame wears, but obviously uh, Notre Dame has some say in that as well. But um, I I do think that Jack Swarbrick is going to play significant roles in closing both of those deals. I wouldn't be surprised if both of them were sort of wrapped up, maybe not announced before he he re, um, officially steps down. Um, but I think that it wouldn't be surprising if by the end of the year, Notre Dame had had everything in place with both of those uh, deals. Um, and I, the Under Armour one is, is ends before the NBC one, but I think the TV rights stuff usually happens a couple of years in advance, um, of when the, the deals are expiring. So, um, hold tight when, when the deals get struck, we will have that information. Um, but right now that the deals are not totally finished yet. All right, next question is from Mr. Nev at Mr. Irish Red. What do you guys think of the government getting involved in NIL regulation? I'm actually kind of a fan of this. Um, I think, you know, right now NIL is so new. I think there has to be some sort of regulation going on, some sort of uh, groundwork for at least some basic rules that each uh, university can follow. Because, I mean, you look at how the conferences are right now. I mean, you got Alabama and the Georgias. Um, and even the LSUs with the NIL, and you got, you know, same teams like Mississippi State in that conference. And the same goes for the Big Ten right now with, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, and uh, schools like Rutgers. Um, so I think the government stepping in um, is something that uh, could be helpful, but um, also I don't want them to take uh, too much freedom away from the players because I feel like we got, we took so long to get to this point of NIL. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, players uh, should have the freedom uh, to kind of explore and um you know, earn off their name, image, and likeness. Um, but I think there has to be some some type of groundwork and um, maybe even some sort of education that requires student athletes um, to maybe take NIL courses or something uh, in between high school and college. Um, I know in the uh, NCAA has, you know, a ton of rules regarding eligibility and, uh, you know, uh, becoming eligible your junior and senior year of high school. 
Um, so I would like uh, the government to somehow get in the NIL education side of things um, to just, you know, make sure student athletes know what NIL is, know what's, you know, legal, what, know what's illegal, um, and just kind of have a better understanding of uh, where each university sits and uh, just kind of make it more of a fair game and instead of everybody kind of keeping track of their own thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that the goals of that are good um and that there there needs to be some sort of regulation um like the idea that every state can have its own sort of setup seems like very um chaotic and like not conducive to making a competitively balanced nca environment but i have very little confidence that the current political climate will create some sort of common ground on an il i i, I don't know that we get many of our politicians to agree on many things these days uh so i just don't i, I don't know I'm, I'm skeptical that it'll work out and i don't I, everyone has their own viewpoints like some people want to give athletes more freedom some people want to take some of that freedom away um and they think that the schools need more protection so like how, how do they find a middle ground there i'd like to think in a in a well-functioning government way like that, that would be possible, but I, I just don't have a lot of confidence in that. So they're going to have to surprise me if that actually comes through. Um, my guess is the more that the, the government gets involved and legislation is created around this, the more likely student athletes become employees. I feel like that's going to be harder and harder to avoid. Um, if there's going to be more rules and regulations um, that go along with this, what's if that, if that is, if that is what you're taking from the students in, in essence, um, what is the give? And, and I, I don't know, like there's plenty of different opinions on whether student athletes actually want to be employees or don't want to be employees or whether they should or shouldn't. Um, I just think that it's going to be harder to avoid um, as, as things move forward. And I, I think like unionizing seems like really difficult because it's just like impossible. I've actually someone who has union organization, experience at the South Bend Tribune like doing that across the country with kids that are coming in and out of college like that it just seems like I don't even know how that would work um so I think that 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 could be a complication to it but I just that doesn't seem realistic either so I don't really know how it's going to all play out but it seems like something has to happen and I think the NCA has more or less given up and like said someone else do this for us um and at least th they're more or less they're they're lobby, lobbying the government to to get involved and figure out ways that it um can help them and, and and give the nca some of the parts to its rules and regulations that it would like to maintain uh next question is from marie biafore at biafore underscore marie um on a scale of one to ten one to one is worse ten is best how would you rate safety and defensive line recruiting so far i don't really understand the strategy for either so far could you possibly explain slash elaborate so let's take this one at a time uh charleston and discuss safety recruiting what would what would your rating for safety recruiting be yeah so right now i have safety uh probably at four uh just a little bit below average um, i just think you look at the strictly off numbers you only have one safety commit right now and that's kennedy erlacher um who was listed as a three star so um not a you know a highly blue chip player um, as notre dame fans might want at this moment um, but still somebody who they feel confident about and has uh, some sort of physical traits that they uh, believe they can mold. Um, but right now I, I'd, I'd have to go forward just because um, you've missed out on Mickey Jr. 
Um, obviously, the Bronte Johnson decision coming up and then some uncertainty with uh, Oliver Miles III and Davis Andrews. Uh, so right now, just purely based on numbers, um, I would have uh, right now on a one to 10 scale, I'd have the current safety uh, class at a four. Well, I think that's a really smart rating because I have the exact same number as well. I, I think there's some questions left to answer there still. And I don't know that there's a lot of obvious answers. Bronte Johnson does seem to be one that Notre Dame probably ends up getting in its class. That's someone I uh, have forecasted to pick Notre Dame when he makes his announcement later this month. Um, but beyond that, I don't know what else, what else comes of it. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I'm at, I'm at a four right now. Um, as for defensive line recruiting, I I would give it a seven. I don't, I don't think defensive line recruiting is in nearly as bad of shape as, as safety recruiting. So I thought it was interesting that these two were paired in the same question together. Um, I really like the group of Logan Thomas, Bryce Young. Cole Mullins and Sean Civilano. Um, I sort of understand why Notre Dame was interested in swapping out Civilano for Owen Wa- or Owen Wa- Owen Wafel for Sean Civilano um, because he's got more size in terms of width and and uh, being like a no- true nose guard. I think Cole Mullins is underrated, and that goes for all the sites. I think he's a three star everywhere. Um, he's someone that. Although when I did see him in person, I'm like, okay, he's not very big yet. And so I'm curious, like what his growth potential is and how he fills out. Um, But I do like his film. I like what I've seen on film of him and the way he gets after um, the quarterback and and plays against offensive linemen. Um, So I'm intrigued by that. I I don't know that he's like a high four star, but I do think he should be under consideration for a four star. Um, And then Logan Thomas and Bryce Young, I think are studs. Uh, So I think, I put the class at a seven Justin Scott would make it great. I think right now the class is good. Um, It could be great if it had Justin Scott and it certainly Elijah rushing as well. Although we don't feel like Notre Dame's chances with Elijah rushing are very good, Um, but Notre Dame is still lingering in the Justin Scott recruitment and hoping that it can get back in that once he gets done with all these official visits elsewhere and, and remind him why, why he's liked Notre Dame so much for, for quite some time now. What did you think about the defensive line recruiting uh, Charleston? Yeah, I'm a little bit lower than you, just a tad. Uh, I'm at six uh, right now. I just I would like to see Siviano uh, and Mullins' senior year, uh, kind of see how they compete uh, and play out um, with another year on film. Just want to see more of them. Um, but like you said, I really uh, love Logan Thomas, uh, the upside and uh, just the natural, you know, physical measurements that he has. I'm really intrigued. I think, um, you know, right now he's kind of the stud of the defensive line group. And uh, like you said, I think this position – um, right now might get a little bit too much scrutiny. Um, I think it's, you know, it's fine where it is. Obviously, Justin Scott would be um, kind of the icing on top and uh, would put it over, uh, put it over the top. Um, but I like, I like where it's at right now, just slightly lower at six, just because of, you know, without Scott, the ceiling is uh, not as high. Yeah. And to Marie's question about the strategy, um, I'm not sure exactly what, she's referring to in terms of it being maybe confusing um i mean it's sort of like what you would always do you go after the top guys until it's clear you're not getting them and then find your next targets but maybe she's referencing sort of the safety commitment squeeze that seems to be going on like paul Mankey jr came to campus and then didn't commit um and then he essentially like wasn't necessarily going to have a, a spot in Notre Dame's class anymore when it's not like Notre Dame has a long line of guys that are are ready to commit at the safety position either um so 
to me that to me that's sort of a reflection of like Notre Dame's not necessarily going after true difference makers right now. So they're trying to fill spots and leverage recruits into decisions rather than sort of being patient because you're like, hey, I don't care when this kid wants to make up his mind. We'll take him to the class anytime. Um, where like Kingston, Villiamuasa, Notre Dame was like, whatever, wh- whenever you want to decide, like they, they love him so much, like there's always going to be a spot for him. Uh, where that's not necessarily this, the case with some of the safeties that Notre Dame is going after. I think Bronte Johnson would 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 fit into that category, but some of these other guys, I don't know that they're they're as high on. Like Notre Dame's gone after a lot of different safeties, and it hasn't worked out. So they're going after guys that they they still like. They wouldn't be going after them if they didn't like them, but obviously they weren't high priorities early, um, and only time will tell if like Notre Dame is right on whether these guys are actually worth pursuing and and were worth going after. Um, so I, I, it feels a little bit to me like Notre Dame at the stage position is recruiting with an urgency, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily working out in the way that Notre Dame had hoped it would. Um, so maybe I, hopefully that's what Marie wanted some more clarity on. Um, if not. Uh, please, I, we hear from Marie all the time, so I know Marie will ask another question on the next podcast, but um, that's at least what I was thinking. Do you have anything else to add there, Charleston? Yeah, I mean, the strategy for me would just be uh, getting all these guys earlier. Um, for example, like the 2025 safeties, 2026, you know right now um, is most likely your 2024 safety class, your group isn't going to be uh, what you had hoped uh, it to be, uh, which is perfectly fine. So I think uh, maybe, you know, fans want to see strategy of maybe getting on kids on campus earlier, kind of like Ivan Taylor, uh, Irish Invasion, uh, mm-hmm. kind of establishing that relationship earlier, uh, which could maybe help down the road when you're not kind of in a tight squeeze uh, like they are right now with uh, 2024. Sure. All right. Uh, next question is from at Henry Bede, sort of related here. Who is the worst recruiter, Todd Light or Chris O'Leary? Yeah, so I'm going to go with uh, O'Leary just because of uh, my experience uh, on the staff right now. Um, just kind of, you know, with the shuffle they're in and uh, from what I've seen, you know, losing Mickey Jr., even though he wasn't a difference maker, um, the numbers right now are, you know, pretty pretty dwindling. Um, and I think, you know, Coach O'Leary uh, resonates, you know, with the guys every time I speak with the recruit, but I just think he hasn't been able to close, uh, which is, you know, the, the deal breaker when it comes to recruiting. Um, but I really like, you know, the progress he's making in 2025 kids. Like I said, getting them on campus early, I think that could pay dividends. Um, but right now, I'm just going to, you know, say O'Leary just because of uh, my experience around uh, Notre Dame football recruiting. Yeah, I, I would go with Light. He, I mean, he was give, he had a longer tenure than what we're talking about for Chris O'Leary right now. Um, and so Todd Light did have some guys that panned out for him, but I think that he was, it was very, sort of hit or miss with what what Notre Dame was targeting at the cornerback position um, and what sort of the strategy was there, um, which I think you could probably say some of the things, at least in the 2024 class with the safety recruiting. I think the 2023 class was not Chris O'Leary's fault. Like, it sort of fell apart for reasons that were beyond his control. Like, what's he supposed to do about Peyton Bowen's decision to go to Oregon and then go to Oklahoma and everything that's going on there? Like, Notre Dame was at least in it very long and stayed in it, even with all those um, NIL opportunities and all the different things tugging at him. Um, And then uh, Brandon Hillman, like it's not his fault that Brandon Hillman didn't hold up his end of the deal in terms of the academics to be admitted into Notre Dame. Um, And so I think if those guys are in the class, everyone thinks Chris O'Leary is a genius. Uh, So I think it's, it's so hard to sort of 
uh, grade in such a small window with these recruiters. Um, certainly in terms of the end result, I think there's there's reasons to want more, certainly from Chris O'Leary. Um, but I think it's probably too early to like compare the two um, fully. Uh, now, maybe maybe Marcus Freeman doesn't feel the same at the end of the year, but because obviously as the head coach, you gotta you have to be evaluating this constantly. But but what if what if Ben Minnick is a stud? Like, does Chris O'Leary get credit for that for for getting him into the class? Um, I don't think this 2024 class has been handled great, but you're probably still getting Bronte Johnson, who I think is a stud. Um, I didn't love the offer to Tabor and Benny Powell, who was at Notre Dame's camp um, yesterday. He was actually teammates with Ben Minnick at Lakota West. Um, he was actually an outside linebacker last year because Ben Minnick and um, Malik Hartford, who was an Ohio State signee, were the safeties at, for his program. So he's definitely a m- more of a project than anything and has a ways to go. He he didn't look like the most comfortable safety playing uh, playing against some of the kids at the camp uh, at the evaluation camp on Thursday. But um, I think uh, Chris O'Leary is probably learning some lessons about recruiting at this level. Um, another like small nitpick is like, Every time you or I talk to a safety following a visit, they always talk about being compared to Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> and like, I understand why they're doing that, but it's like, okay, not everyone's Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> like there's gotta be more of the recruiting pitches that you could be Kyle Hamilton. Right. Um, so maybe, maybe, maybe it's good that because kids are always bringing it up. So maybe it is landing with them, but obviously like we're saying, it's, it's not necessarily leading to a bunch of commitments either. So um, I'm very, uh, Curious. And Chris O'Leary is a young coach, so he doesn't have a lot of guys that he can point to in the NFL. He's like, but he can point to Kyle Hamilton. That was a guy that he coached, so he can he can use him as an example. So I think there's certainly room for growth. I knowing Chris O'Leary's like personality and how he gets along with players and recruits, I don't think that's an issue. Like he seems very like he has a great connection with those guys. So that's that's sort of the hard thing to sort of sort of get at. It's like why what is the disconnect there that isn't leading to um Notre Dame getting the kind of commitments at the safety position that it wants so um we'll see how that continues to play out for Chris O'Leary he certainly has his hands full on trying to finish out this 2024 class at the safety spot all right next question is from at Patrick Shields zero it seems Notre Dame has landed plenty of three-star talent in the 24 class are those rankings just behind or is ND looking at development players or are they just a step ahead yeah, so those uh, those rankings are updated uh, as of this week um, in terms of, you know, looking at the uh, three stars that Notre Dame has in its class right now. Um, I think, you know, it's a mixed bag of development players and maybe guys who they see as hidden gems. I know for me personally, I, I really like Isaiah Canyon. Um, he's listed as a three star. I think he could be a guy who, um, you know, uh, like Cole said, he's a multi, uh, you know, multi-athlete guy. Uh, plays multiple sports, which I mm-hmm. like, and I think that will help him in college. And I mean, we saw him this morning. He has good, good height to him. Uh, still can, you know, put on some muscle. I mean, yeah. that comes with, you know, Notre Dame's strength and conditioning program, but um, I really like him. And then I know everybody wants to know about the safety position. I mean, at this point, you have to take the three stars because outside of Bronte Johnson, uh, there's just, you know, not much left um, right. that you've been in contact with. Um, so it really just comes to, down to need. Um, but also, I know you touched on earlier, you know, Cole Mullins, they might see a guy who, you know, they get him on campus two years. Um, you know, they see competitive character within them. They, they see the, you know, the willingness to learn and willingness to adapt and come in and um, be comfortable with being uncomfortable in a way. 
Um, and two years down the line, he, he might be a guy who's ready to step into a starting role. So um, I think the coaching staff just, you know, trust their scouting, trust their eyes, um, and, you know, uh, believes in, you know, who they uh, believe in. Yeah, I, I some of it, like, I, I'm curious. I haven't had these discussions with um, our recruiting analysts at all, but, like, I feel like it's hard because a lot of these guys, like, end up as outside linebackers, like, Cole Mullins is listed as an outside linebacker. Bryce Young is an outside linebacker, but so is Bradley Shaw. And th- those guys aren't projected to be sort of the same kind of players at, at the college level. Um, so I'm curious, like, how much that plays a role into it. And, like, okay, I know um, so, uh, at least one of the other recruiting services just calls them edge players because, like, that means they're an edge rusher, whether it's an outside linebacker, defensive end, um, and then just linebackers. So um, I think that makes it a little bit complicated. Um, but I mean, Teddy Rezac, Cole Mullins, Kennedy Erlacher, Sean Savalano, Carson Hobbs, those guys are three stars on every recruiting network, uh, right now. So is the whole industry behind on those guys, guys? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, and I mean, especially like Carson Hobbs, like he's been committed to South Carolina and Notre Dame for a while now. So everyone knows about Carson Hobbs. It's not like he's some sort of mystery, um, recruit just no I don't no one is sold on him being a four-star recruiter this time um whereas like Teddy Rezac I can understand like he's playing out of position last year um and he's Notre Dame's projecting him as a linebacker um and that's not necessarily what he's played a ton of um so I think it's it, it could be a hard translation there Kennedy Erlacher is a little bit undersized there's usually usually there's a reason why guys especially if they're three stars across the board there's usually like holes in their game you can point to as a reason why they're not four-star recruits. Um, so I think that, that that Notre Dame has gone after some of those guys because they've exhausted their options at the positions that some of these guys are coming at. Um, we, we Obviously, we're talking about safety a lot. Um, the defensive line, I think Notre Dame um, – I think Notre Dame just likes Cole Mullins and Sean Sevillano more than – uh, the recruiting services do because um, certainly the staff doesn't see all those guys as three-star recruits. Um, I am, I am curious as, and I've mentioned this before, this, this kind of question has been come up a couple of times on our podcast in the last couple of months that we have new analysts coming in like Cole Patterson at taking a bigger role in the mid South. Uh, John Garcia jr. Is now our Southeast analyst. Uh, I'm curious how the rate ratings and rankings evolve with those guys putting more of their opinions into what they see from these guys. Um, that doesn't necessarily always mean it will be a good thing. Um, but for instance, Sean Civilano jumped up to the number 20 defensive tackle. And I know John Garcia jr. Likes him a lot. So um, we're going to see some changes here. Um, Isaiah Canyon was one that I was surprised. He didn't like move at all. Um, but the two guys that did move up, at least the most significantly were, were Civilano, who he, the, because he was a 5'5", five, five, and now he's a 5'7", which for those that aren't keenly aware of the rivals rating system, um, at the three-star recruit level, 5.7 is the highest level a three-star recruit can be, and then a 5.5 is the lowest level a three-star recruit can be. And so Sean Cevillano and Styles Prescott were both 5.5s, and now they're 5.7s. Um, so they, they have our recruiting analysts do see more in them than, previous, than the previous ratings um, indicated, but they – didn't get a four-star bump quite yet. And we'll see what what happens as those guys play their senior seasons because that certainly plays an important role as well. 
All right. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. Is there someone in the 2024 recruiting class that you think can help the program take the leap from playoff qualifier to playoff noisemaker? Yeah. So I have uh, one target listed and then three commits listed. So uh, I'll start off with the target because, um, you know, Tyler and I don't think Notre Dame is in a good position to land him, but uh, took his official visit last weekend, Elijah rushing. Um, I think just defensive end, how, how big they are uh, in college football. It's a, uh, incredibly important position yeah. uh, to rush the passer, especially with the way the game is trending. So I think uh, if you would uh, be able to land him and uh, get him in the class, he could be a guy who, you know, puts you over the top uh, with him and Logan Thomas coming off the edge. And then Logan Thomas is one of my three commits that um, I just see, see potential in them, uh, potential in them to maybe become this um, along with Cam Williams and CJ Carr. And um, it's pretty basic for me. I mean, you look at, you know, Heisman Trophy winners, uh, Caleb Williams, Bryce Young, Joe Burrow. Uh, obviously, C.J. Carr is not there yet, but uh, just having a quarterback um, who, if you get him in and he hits a ceiling, I mean, it takes you uh, it, it takes you over the top. Um, and then with Cam Williams, um, I kind of relied on the Heisman again, uh, Devontae Smith uh, at Alabama. Then uh, you've seen how kind of wide receivers have um, taken programs to the top. Uh, Jameson Williams a couple of years ago at Alabama. Um, I know Ohio State this upcoming year with Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, which Notre Dame will see in South Bend. Um, I think, again, a wide receiver is such an important position in college football, especially with the way the game is heading. And, you know, Notre Dame's becoming, uh, becoming a more uh, pass-friendly offense, uh, it seems like, uh, going in that direction. So I think uh, Cam Williams, if he uh, hits his ceiling, uh, he could be a guy who, you know, Notre Dame relies on and uh, maybe, you know, uh, is able to beat those defensive backs from Georgia, is able to beat those defensive backs from LSU, uh, where they, you know, have those top-tier top defensive backs um, in the South. If Notre Dame were uh, to match up with a program like that in the playoffs. Yeah, I um, I wasn't sure if Charles wanted uh, commits or targets, so I included a little bit of both, too. But, yeah, I think you have to start in terms of the commits with C.J. Carr. I mean, the quarterback's always going to be the one that has the biggest chance uh, to help a program win a national championship. Um, I think Cam Williams is in that conversation as well as a wide receiver. Um, and so those are the two guys committed that I, that I like the most um, in terms of the targets, Elijah rushing, he's on my list of two and then Justin Scott. I mean, Notre Dame's going head to head with Georgia for a defensive tackle. If you've watched college football in the last three seasons, Georgia seems to know what it's doing at the defensive tackle position. So um I think Notre Dame has been right all, all along on Justin Scott in terms of like how much to prioritize him. Now it just has to actually get him in the class, which isn't going to be easy. Um, so I think if Notre Dame can win that recruitment, that can go a long way in helping Notre Dame um, make a difference because Notre Dame seems to have pretty good defensive linemen um, when it is able to make those runs, uh, whether it's to the college football playoff or into the national championship game. Um, or even going back farther to when Notre Dame was winning national championships. All right, two more questions. This next one is from at Russo1957. What is your best guess on the number of uh, commitments Notre Dame will receive this month? Yeah, so my number comes in at uh, three. Uh, I have two 2024 kids and then a 2025 uh, kid. Uh, start with Nate Roberts committing this Saturday. I think Notre Dame is in a really good spot to land him, uh, see Tyler's future cast. Um, for reference, I, I just think uh, he's a tight end that's made for Notre Dame. 
as Cole said, he's a complete tight end. So um, I think, you know, him and Notre Dame have hit it off since uh, he visited in the spring. And um, I think he joins uh, the 2025 class tomorrow. Um, and then Bronte Johnson and uh, Davis Andrews, I think, are two guys that end up in Notre Dame's class this month. Uh, Bronte already has his commitment date set for later this month. So we know he'll be announcing his commitment. And, um, you know, we've said uh, on Football Never Sleeps, um, the past couple of weeks, we really like to uh, spot Notre Dame's in for Johnson. And then Davis Andrews, I think, um, I don't, I'm not super confident that he commits this month, but uh, I do think, you know, after Notre Dame gets Bronte Johnson in the class, um, stuff might, you know, become a little extra tight uh, with guys left like Andrews and Miles and uh, Malcolm Ziegler, who's on campus this weekend. Um, so I think Davis Andrews goes ahead and uh, gives his commitment to Notre Dame before uh, the end of this month. Yeah, certainly the way Andrews spoke about his Utah visit made me a little bit nervous. I'm hoping to find out more about where Notre Dame sits with him moving forward. As someone who already put a future cast in for Notre Dame, we'll see if uh, I stick with that or decide to change it. Um, I'm not I'm not convinced necessarily to change it yet, but um, Utah was always going to be a, a, a significant competitor for, for Notre Dame in that recruitment. Um, but there certainly is a difference there in terms of what Notre Dame is doing and recruiting him as a safety, whereas BYU is more, or excuse me, Utah is recruiting him more as a linebacker. So um, my answer to Russo's question was was four um, and two from the scheduled announcements that you mentioned, Nate Roberts and Bronte Johnson, um, and then maybe one more in each class by the end of the month. But I do think that most of the 2024 decisions won't be announced until July now. Notre Dame might have a good idea of what those guys are going to do before the month ends. Um, but I think um, in terms of the timing of the announcements, I think a lot of kids are probably looking more towards July and rather than announcing it here in June. So that could keep the number low um, in terms of uh, the commitments that Notre Dame could add just based on the timing of things. All right, last question here is from at Sully Fenton. I figured that Charleston would appreciate this one, although I don't know what his knowledge is of the basketball playing levels of some of these guys in their names roster. Uh, if you had to send three players from the football team over to the men's basketball team, who are you choosing? Yeah, so my number one pick is uh, probably going to be Tosh Baker, um, 6'8". Uh, so can't, can't beat size. And, you know, when I was doing uh, some research on uh, new Notre Dame men's basketball, um, signing out of the transfer portal, uh, Tay Davis from Indianapolis. I learned that Tosh Baker played with his older brother, who uh, plays at Seton Hall. They played uh, like little league basketball together. So I know he has some experience on the AAU basketball circuit with you know a, a player that uh, eventually became a D Division One Power Five player. Um, so I know he's played in you know high competition um, at least before high school. And I just think you can't beat size, um, especially having a big man on the basketball court. I mean. Uh, sometimes it's unfair. So I'm going to go with Tosh Baker as my first pick. And then my next two picks are uh, Deion Colsey and Tobias Merriweather, uh, just because um, I'm just going to bet on my size. I'm not really sure. Um, I couldn't find any highlights of them, but uh, not really sure how they can, uh, you know, shoot the basketball or um, handle the basketball, but just going to bet on their athleticism, bet that they can get to the rim, uh, bet that they can play defense and then uh, coach them from there. But uh, yeah, I'm probably going to go with Colsey, Merriweather, and then Baker, uh, jump in center. I don't remember. I don't know. I'm not sure how much basketball Tobias played. He was a he was a big track athlete, and Dion was a track athlete as well. But Dion was a basketball player, and he played well. So Dion is one of my picks. Um, the other two guys, 
I wasn't as worried about size just because actually the men's basketball team has some decent size on this roster, which isn't actually something that Notre Dame has been used to in recent years. Um, but I mean, these guys are big guys in terms of football players, but they wouldn't necessarily be as big uh, uh, on the basketball court. I, Eli Raritan was a very good basketball player. Um, certainly his knee injury history probably wouldn't be the best decision for him in terms of someone that needs to be careful with his, with his body. But um, if I'm being selfish for the men's basketball team, um, I would put him um, and Jaden Greathouse is the other one. And, and what another, what the best basketball team really needs is some point guard help. And so um, maybe Jaden Greathouse can run the point for, for uh, Notre Dame's men's basketball team. He was a good basketball player at a good program in Austin. Um, in addition to a, a great pro- football program down there too. So those are the guys that I picked. So you sort of looking at the offensive skill positions to, to get some, some basketball help. But I, when I was roll, scrolling through the roster, there weren't a lot of guys that sort of jumped out of me as like, remembering them as being good basketball players. Like Andrew Kristoffic was. When you talk about an offensive lineman, especially the older guys, like the farther they've been away from playing high school basketball, I can't. I, I just can't imagine that they're nearly as good as they once were. And then obviously they've gotten a lot bigger in terms of needing to be that, that size um, uh, as as an offensive lineman in college football. Michael Carmody would be another guy that, that had some basketball success. Obviously his brother Robbie was a – another name basketball player. Um, so, but uh, Colsey, Raritan, and Great House were, were my top three draft picks. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone you meet on vacation this summer. Our Football Never Sleep show on YouTube continues to go strong, and we'll keep uploading that into the podcast feed as well. So um, you don't have to subscribe to us on YouTube to get to that, but we would much appreciate if you did and prefer if you listen to us and watch us there. Um, We do that live. Um, We have more content on YouTube as well. I I put like a clip, uh, a top plays, uh, I think it was six plays from yesterday's evaluation camp, so some nice catches there. (laughs) The first play is... Tyler Merrill, a 2026 20, offensive lineman, just putting a, <laughs> a kid on his back uh, that was just holding the pad in a drill. I thought that was really funny. Um, so go check that out as well. And we'll have, um, and yeah, even this morning, Friday, that um, we got video of Notre Dame's official visitors arriving to the Goog um, for the, the beginning of their official visit. Um, so um, hopefully you're checking out what we're doing on YouTube because that's something we're continuing to put an emphasis on. But we certainly um value the podcast a lot i know it's been a little bit uh not it's consistent with with eric and i switching on and off with some vacation eric and i are both working next week so we plan to be back together on the podcast um so keep, keep an eye out for that um and until then stick with insideindiesports.com for all your notre dame coverage needs